The Word of God for our consideration today, our epistle reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, previously read. In the name of our great and generous God, their fellow redeemed. It's a question that every Christian asks himself or herself dozens of times every day, maybe without even realizing it. And the question is simply this, what does God want me to do? I mean, from the minute your alarm clock goes off, you've got to answer these questions, right? Am I going to get up or am I going to lay here in bed for a little longer? Am I going to get dressed and go to work or am I going to call in sick? Am I going to greet my spouse with a smile or am I going to just kind of grunt and head to the bathroom? Every time, every decision we have to make, there's a little voice in our head that says, well, this is what you should do. And of course, that voice is our conscience that bears witness to the law that God has written in our hearts. But because our sinful nature blurs that law and distorts our conscience, God in love has chosen to write down his will, first on 10 stones or Ten Commandments, and then here in his word. And so his moral law is summarized with the Ten Commandments and perfectly embodied by the perfect Son of God, Jesus. And so when we're confronted with what should I do, now as New Testament Christians, we simply look at Jesus. How did he treat other people? How did he manage his time? What did he think was important? For every one of those decisions we have to make, it's only appropriate to ask ourselves WWJD, which means what would Jesus do, right? Jesus is the guide for us to follow, But you realize just knowing what Jesus would do doesn't give us the ability or even really the desire to do it. If if we're going to actually do what Jesus would do, we need to focus not on WWJD, but rather WHJD, which stands for what has Jesus done? It's his sacrifice for us. It's God's love in Christ that empowers us to actually do God's will, right? What does scripture say? Christ's love compels us. Or to put it another way, the more we know what's in God's heart, the more it impacts our lives. The more we know how much God loves us in Christ, the more we we understand what his values are, the more we can reflect those same values in our lives. In fact, that's, that's the thought behind our worship series this month. Our, our theme is from God's heart to our lives. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some things that are true about God. 
characteristics that God has, core values that he holds dear. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at God's faithfulness, his selfless service, his love for the lost, and today, the godly value that God in turn works in our hearts by the power of the gospel is God's generosity. You might call these God's values for God's people. Our sermon theme today is simply this. A generous God creates generous people. Our text for today is a portion of the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians about an offering that was being gathered by the Christians throughout the Mediterranean world to support the people in Jerusalem who were undergoing a severe famine. And and so this offering gives Paul the chance to talk a little bit about something that had application then and still today. Two things. First, why Christians give? And secondly, how Christians give? Now, if I were to ask you, why do you think Christians give? What would you say? Maybe you'd say Christians give because they see a need, right? They want to support a cause, a, a, a mission that they want to carry out. And certainly that's true. That's what certainly happened here in the, in the New Testament, right? The, the Christians saw the need that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem had, and so they took an offering to support them economically. And, and we do the same thing today, right? Whether it's the need to find a cure for cancer, or the need to provide meals for the hungry, or the need to share the gospel with unreached people groups around the world, or the need to provide a a facility for our children to receive a Christian education. These are all needs that we want to meet. But those needs aren't really what motivate us. It's not why we give. It's, 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 to what we give, but not really why we give. I mean, think, think of the, the, the believers in the Old Testament. What did God ask them to do? Take their bushel of grain, take their prized steer, and throw it in a fire. Well, what need was that offering meeting? The, the need to create some smelly smoke. No, that's not why they were giving. It's not what they were giving to that was important, but rather who they were giving to, their God, and from what they were giving. They were giving from what God had already given them first. Isn't the same thing true for you and me? Why do Christians give? Because God has given to us first. Isn't that what Paul says? Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Here Paul is making a promise about God's providence based on what God has already done for us. He has richly 
blessed us in so many ways. I mean, as United States citizens, you realize that the median income per person around the globe is about $8 a day. When you think about that compared to what we make, when you think about the luxuries, the electronics, the recreation that we enjoy, things that many people in the world can only dream of, you realize that you and I are incredibly rich. God has been amazingly generous to us in our country. Now, someone might say, no, it's not because God gave me all this, man. I, I busted my hump my whole life for what I have. To which God might say, really? Who gave you your hump to bust? And who gave you your life during which you can bust it? And who put you into a country where busting your hump actually creates income for you? God did. Even if you don't recognize it, even if you're not grateful for it, that's the kind of God that we have, a God who is generous and gracious. God gives us things we don't deserve. And things that often we aren't even grateful for. It reminds me of the little boy in the checkout line who's pleading with his mom for some candy. He wants some candy. So finally mom gives in and buys him some M&M's. And he's so happy. He's got his M&M's. He's eating his M&M's. And when they get out to the car, his mom says, Hey, buddy, can, can I have a couple of those M&M's? No! They're mine. You can't have any. What? You wouldn't have any of those M&Ms if I didn't give them to you first. You got like 20 M&Ms there. I, I can't have two of them? Talk about a brat. <laughs> Ingratitude. Is there a little Johnny in you and me? Everything we have came from God. And so when God asks us for two of our 20 M&Ms, what is that? 10%, we say, no, no, I can't do that. This is my stuff. Ingratitude. Selfishness. But here's the thing. You know what God does with that selfishness? He puts it on someone who was never selfish. He lays it on the back of Jesus. And he has Jesus pay for it. So that you can be clean. So that you can be forgiven. God is like the parent who, who wipes the chocolate off little Johnny's mouth. And assures him that he still loves him. And says... Even though you really don't deserve it, I'll, I'll still give you some more M&Ms in the future. That's the kind of God that you and I have. A God who is generous. A God who is gracious. A God who 
gives us what we don't deserve. That's why Christians give. We give because God has graciously given to us first. But Paul goes on to talk not only about why Christians give, but also how Christians give. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about, you know, the method that Christians use, you know, whether it's carrying the casserole across the the street to my sick neighbor, or it's putting a check in the offering plate, or it's charging my charitable gift on my credit card. Those are all methods. Nor is Paul here talking about the different guidelines for giving that God gives, like what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. With those words, Paul is reminding us first that God wants us to give regularly and to give proportionately, right? In keeping with our income, right? A percentage of our income, a percentage of our net worth. But Paul here isn't really talking about how we give, you know, with our hands, but really how we give from our hearts. Paul's talking about the attitude that we are to have. He says what? Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. That's interesting, isn't it? Notice he doesn't say, God loves the one who gives big gifts, or God abhors the person who's stingy. No, God loves the cheerful giver. It's like God is much more concerned about the heart of the giver than the size of the gift. So when it comes to the heart of the giver, is it possible that a person could give a good gift from a bad heart? Absolutely. It happens all the time. Paul says it happens when we give reluctantly. Right? When, we, when we look at our quarterly offering statement that we'll get in the email this week and say, wow, oh, that's, that's a lot of money, man. I could have used that somewhere else. Man, you know how many fishing poles I could have bought with that? How, how many car payments I could have bought my kids' braces with that? Ugh, I'd love to have that back. That's giving reluctantly. Or to give under compulsion, Right? I give because my wife says we have to. Okay, I will. Is that cheerful giving? Is that giving from a cheerful heart? No. In fact, Paul talks about what the attitude of a cheerful giver should be when he says what? Give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's an interesting thing. Decide in your heart, wait, don't we usually decide in our, in our brains? Yeah, unless it's when we're talking about generous giving. Generous giving is not a, a function of the brain, it's a function of the heart. 
oh, I, I still may need my brain to figure out, you know, where am I going to cut something out of my budget so I can be more generous? And I may need a calculator to actually calculate what percentage of my income I'm going to return to the Lord. But ultimately, my generous gifts are not some kind of logical conclusion I make. Rather, they are an expression of something in my heart. It's faith in my God to take care of all my needs. Faith that trusts that God will take care of us even if we give away what he's given us. What did Paul say? Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In other words, Christians can never outgive the giver. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of when you go to your grandma's house and after the big meal, she brings out the dessert. And she asks you, hey, will you help pass out the, the dessert? And so you do, okay, I will. Oh, that looks good. Oh, man. Okay, pass it down. Okay, okay, pass it down. Okay, I got my last pie, and there's still one person there. Uh Uh-oh, what am I going to get? And then Grandma says, Robbie, do you think I forgot about you? I got a whole new fresh pie. Help yourself to it. There's plenty more where that came from. That's the kind of God that we have. A God who is generous. A God who takes care of our needs and even our wants. God pours out his blessings on us, right? Physical blessings of food and clothing and salaries and retirement plans, but more importantly, spiritual blessings, his love, his forgiveness, the fact that I am a, have a life as a child of God and an eternity waiting for me in heaven. And why does he give us these things? Why is he so generous? So we, in turn, can be generous. And so that by our generosity, God gets the glory. Isn't that what Paul says? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. My friends, that's how God makes people generous. God has been generous to us so that we can be generous to others. So that in the end, God gets the glory. Or to put it another way, it's the generosity in God's heart that ultimately is displayed in the lives of God's people. To God be the glory. Amen.